Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Um, joining me on the phone this morning is Matt Coda, who is the owner of the Meadow Hill Consulting Firm. And Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Matt. Yeah, this is called your. You're one of my, as I told you, you're one of my go-to guys because when I when I was doing research for the consulting for the show today. I noticed on your website um, you founded Meadow Hill in 2022 to provide management and advocacy assistance, and this is the list I love, to Vermont trade associations focused on energy, transportation, communication, housing, and economic development. What's left? No wonder you know everything. Well, actually, what's left is my teaching gig. So I, I either run, manage, or provide advocacy services for nine different nonprofits operating in Vermont. And I also teach at uh, the University of Vermont and the Grossman School of Business. Get out. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Did your fam- does your family see you, or you just sort of wave on by and there you go? You <laughs> being that's, that's well, well, my kids are off in college, so uh, oh. it's, all, it's all good. I understand. Um, that's so cool. And welcome. Every time I was reading this uh, the last day or two, I was thinking planes, trains, and, and automobiles. You remember that show with, uh, I think it was John Candy? movie a bazillion years ago. I do, and it's, and it's really why, I, I, not that movie, I love that movie, but I love my job because I think if you think about transportation and energy and housing and economic development and telecommunications, I mean, these are the core right. um, uh, vocations, the uh, industries that, that we need to move forward, and, and uh, some quite literally when it comes to transportation. And so it's been <laughs> a passion of mine for, for forever, and I'm just so happy to be in this job where I can uh, good for you well I know a few I know a few of the folks that uh, you work with uh, particularly um, uh, you you took on last year when Marilyn Miller retired the Vermont Automobile Dealers Association and uh, when I was Commissioner of Motor Vehicles I worked very closely with with all of those folks and you couldn't ask for a nicer group and I know the Fuel Dealers Association is in your blood from your parents um, and I, uh, it's, it's, you're surrounded by awesome people. So good yeah, for you. And, and what's the through line is is that these are businesses that are largely family-owned, some second, third, some even fourth-generation family-owned companies that live where they work and often have uh, family members with them, but oftentimes their long-term employees are like families. They're not run by some far-off corporation in some far-off country or state. Yep. These are people that live on Main Street in our small towns in Vermont. And they care about not only their employees, but but their customers who are their neighbors. And and I I couldn't ask for a better group to work for than the people that provide energy products and transportation vehicles uh, in Vermont. I always, uh, whenever I talk about small businesses and stuff, I always say, these are the people that uh, coach your Little League teams. These are the people that that volunteer, you know, to help at uh, uh, any emergencies or anything that's happening in town. And and you have to remember that um, they're our neighbors and good, hard-working group of folks. So this morning we wanted to talk about two key things, automobiles and energy. And folks who are listening in, you're going to be hearing some really interesting things, some 
Matt's going to talk about a survey that um, that he uh, found and shared with me, and then I, in turn, shared one back with him. I don't know if he had a chance to read it, but um, lots of great information out there. So let's just jump right in. Um, oh, I, by the way, I I don't know who's I hadn't seen this tagline before, but uh, for Veda it says helping you drive Vermont's economy. I thought I don't know who came up with that, but that is one clever tagline. So well, kudos to them. I mean, the whole the idea is the the, the member companies, the, the employees that work for Vermont Automobile Dealers Association, the Vermont Vehicle and Automotive Distributors Association, which is our longer name. Yes, right. Um, whether they're selling a car, a truck, a new a used vehicle, an ATV, a boat, um, uh, construction equipment, it's, it, it is essential. Um, these engines, uh, these vehicles with treads and tires and wheels, they're all vitally important to our economy. And we can't, we can't move milk without tractor-trailer trucks, right? We can't get people to their jobs uh, in our rural state without uh, trucks and cars. And, and that's right. why it's, uh, transportation infrastructure in rural areas is so dependent on the retail car market, which, whether it's new or used, almost all of them are locally owned Vermont businesses. Yeah, and some of your folks, this uh, this last disaster we had uh, really got hit hard, um, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but uh, um, I, I live off of Route 302, and one of your dealers in particular got just wiped out. It was incredible. Um, so yeah, it I was hope a, everybody's it was, uh, for a handful of, of auto dealers it was a really rough yeah. um, couple of months and it will be again but again all of them that have suffered losses are are coming back strong they've had incredible support from their employees from their customers and while this might take out a uh, um, other businesses in, right. in this industry they, they were back to work the next day and well i'm glad because we lost quite a few automobile dealers um while back when the economy was, uh, when we went through, uh, what, what year that was when we lost uh, several, because the economy just was not doing well at all, and we lost a couple. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's... Um, 2007. Um, yeah, there's, there's 90 yeah. new car dealers, about 90 new car dealers in Vermont that oh. uh, indirectly indirectly employ more than 6,000 Vermonters. So it's a, oh. it's a significant part. It's 17% of the retail workforce in Vermont, of course. I am, I, I'm so glad to hear that, because... That was uh, sad news back then when, when you realized how many dealers just couldn't make it because the economy was not doing so well. So um, let's just talk about, uh, and I should get the the new name. It's not so new anymore. Vermont Vehicle and Automotive Distributors Association. When I knew it, it was just Vermont Automobile Dealers Association, but they've expanded who they who they include in and cover in their trade associations. So and they were clever enough to use the same initials, so good for them. Yeah, um, I credit Marilyn Miller for that. Yeah, we're having a yeah. big auto conference two weeks from today, just down the road from your studio in, in Stowe, Vermont, um, where we're going to talk about the future of transportation. And, and there are significant regulations, both state and federal, that are driving consumer choice in, in the effort to have transportation be more sustainable. And navigating those issues for retail car dealers is what we do here at Veda, and in that conference will really provide an opportunity for those that are in the business of helping Vermonters move, um, understand what's coming, and how they can adjust uh, and adapt. That's great. They always have, over the years, have put on some amazing 
um, conferences, and so I'm sure this will be one of those amazing conferences because um, um, they really put a lot of effort into making sure they're sharing current information and with with their members and um, so, and it's always good that that the members get together and and you know communicate and talk and get to know each other. It's a pretty tight group. So I was trying yeah. to think of all the the things that um, perhaps the automotive industry is dealing with these days here in Vermont, and I came up with a couple, um, but I'm yeah. sure I've missed a whole bunch. Uh, electric vehicles, um, the right to repair bill, uh, supply chain issues, elimination of AM radio in new cars. Um, oh, Matt, yeah. anything else that we could talk about um, that I missed? Well, well, there's a strike uh, that might be coming, as you heard in the oh. top of the headline news there, that might be coming uh, with the auto manufacturers in Detroit. Um, you know, there's a, there's a labor issue there, which obviously affects supply chain, but not yet. We hope, certainly hope that the manufacturers right. and the, the union work out those details so there's no disruption at all. But the the key thing that's happening, that's been happening for the last five, ten years and will happen for the next 30 is, this transition from the combustion engine to an electric-powered one. And there, you know, everyone's seen the ads on TV and everyone knows sort of what's what's happening, but the details of it are quite interesting, quite fascinating. I mean, if I, if I were to ask you that, I don't want to quiz you, quiz the host on her own show, but <laughs> the listeners can play along. What's the most popular vehicle in Vermont? Oh, that's an interesting you- question. I don't the know, but the new color is red. Every place I go, they're red cars. But the most. So, and the answer is Toyota, right? So, and the most Toyota. popular model, right? The most popular model sold in Vermont is—I'll give you a hint. The most popular vehicle sold in Vermont is not a car. Oh, so that's it's a Ford. Right? It's a Ford F one fifty. It's a truck. The most those most popular right. oh, model. A vehicle sold in Vermont in this year, according to our survey, is uh, the Ford uh, truck series. Now, the question is, is, is with people wanting SUVs and used cars, because the used car market is bigger than the new car market, in, in trucks and crossovers, and as these policies, whether it's from the state or federal government or from the manufacturers themselves, which are separate and distinct from the retailers on the street that sell you the car, uh, the, the move towards battery electric vehicles right. is, is is becoming a rather than aspirational, it's becoming a mandate, and that is because of a law that was passed last year, in December, through part of the Legislative Committee on Administrative Rules, promulgated a rule which requires Vermont to adopt California's low and zero emission standards, which means starting in 2026. 35% of the new cars on a Vermont dealership lot have to be zero or low emission vehicles. And that's a requirement not on the dealer, but on the manufacturer. The manufacturer is the one responsible for complying with the regulation, for making sure that there's enough of these electric vehicles on Vermont lots. Now, it doesn't mean you can't go to New Hampshire, which has no such regulation, and buy a combustion engine vehicle and, and bring it back here and register. There's no requirement on the consumer to purchase an electric vehicle, but there's a requirement on the manufacturers of the vehicle to deliver to Vermont and other states. There's about a dozen other states that have similar requirements. Matt, when you were saying light trucks are the the most popular thing here in Vermont, you would think with all the discussions about global warming, 
um, that we would start to trim trim the size of our vehicles down a little. Yeah, well, people people like uh, on manufacturers have recognized, and you can see it in all the surveys that, uh, especially in rural areas, people like sedans are fading in favor yeah. of vehicles with a higher lift. And those are crossovers, SUVs, and pickup trucks. And if you look at the and I've studied it. The first six months of 2023, you know, we sold, we registered more used vehicles than new vehicles. But of the new vehicles sold, 81% of these new vehicles are gasoline, um, 4% are diesel or biodiesel, um, 3% electric plug-in gas, uh, 7% are gas electric hybrids, and only 5% are pure electric, just just the battery. That's it. That's the only powertrain. But if you look over in the used, which is a big gain from where it was five years ago, where it was like 1%. But if you look on the used car market, which is where where a majority of the well, – because they're used, they're more affordable by nature. Most of them are. Um, and they are also more popular because there's more of them out there, which is – you know, gasoline is 93% of the used car market in Vermont for the first six months of this year. And the all-electric is just 1%. So back to the big regulation, which most people – when you know, and you knew this when you were in state government – when. When regulations happen, when there's a, a date far off in the future, oftentimes it doesn't get the attention because it's like, well, that's going to happen in five years. So that's going to happen in 10 years. But there's so many preparations that have to happen before the implementation date. And for yep. many people, it's sort of it's so far away that it's, that it's hard to see. So when I say in 2026, 35% of the cars on new car lots delivered by the manufacturers have to be electric, that's, well, that's in 2026. That's years away. But the preparations are happening now, I mean, if we're only at 5% of the new car market of battery electric, and the idea is to get to 35% in the next, uh, you know, two and a half years, um, that's a hurdle because you need the car dealers need the, you know, phase three fast chargers at their sites. Uh, the consumers have to want these vehicles. The manufacturers have to deliver them at a price point that consumers will buy them in the style that they want to buy. Right. And these are really difficult things to navigate for these small business owners. Matt, and we've that's got part a of the caller. discussion we'll have so in two weeks. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's hard when we're not face-to-face here. Um, but I have Forbes from Corinth on the phone wanted to talk to you. So, Forbes, go ahead. You're on the air. Right. Thank you. Um, I'd like a, a definitive answer on my question here. Um, electric vehicles are not paying the road and bridge uh, highway tax, which amounts to about 38 cents a gallon. Um, Either a method so that they start paying towards the roads and bridge wear or repeal the Vermont section of the gasoline tax as being discriminatory. Interesting. It's all yours, Matt. So, yeah, great question, and one that does come up often under the Golden Dome in Montpelier, which is at what point, because if theoretically all the cars on the road are electric vehicles, no one's paying the gas tax anymore, but that's still a long, long, long way away. But in the interim, what's that time and what's the methodology for ensuring that cars that use electricity pay their share of the road tax or the transportation bill? and and there is discussion on how that could happen. There's a couple different ways to do that. None of them are perfect. None of them are a, a simple um, fix like that is for just taxing a gallon of gasoline or a gallon of diesel fuel. You know, you could raise the uh, the purchase and use tax or the registration free on, on electric vehicles, but that only captures, in, you know, the lost gas 
tax revenue, but it only captures those that register a car with green plates, right? It doesn't capture those that come and visit us and might use our roads, but yet will never pay into the transportation fund. So that seems like, well, that burden is entirely on Vermonters. You could put it at the, the fast charging stations that are located at gas stations and grocery stores and coffee shops. But what we're finding is, is that 60 to 70 percent of people who charge their vehicles charge them at home or work. So you would have to develop a system to tax that at home, which might involve a different type of uh, software change or hardware upgrade in order to ensure that that is captured. There's another way, and it's quite controversial, but it's it's having a system in which you're tracking the vehicle's miles traveled. So rather than pay based on a registration once a year or pay based on when you fill up, but it actually judges how many miles you travel and using that data to determine how much you should pay into the road tax. But that means the government knows how many miles you traveled, and some people would prefer to just pay at the pump or at the, at the charging station. So lots of discussion, no answers yet. And because it's only 5% of the market, while it has had an impact on revenues into the transportation fund, uh, as those sales increase, and they're likely to increase, and they're going to be required to increase, we expect that to be a more uh, a vocal discussion in terms of how the uh, the road tax or the, the transportation fund gets made whole. Huh. That's great. Um, did we lose Matt? Are you there, Matt? No, I'm here. Oh, you're there. I'm sorry. I heard a click, and then there was silence. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, mm-hmm. Forbes, for the question. Um, yeah, I'm... I think it's uh, everyone's question, and uh, yeah. I really don't see any uh, immediate answers on it, which no. I think is unfair. Yeah, well, we'll see what they do in the Golden Dome over the next okay. couple of years. Thank you. Thanks for um, the you know, Matt, I've, uh, we've been ta- I've been talking a lot about um, the uh, electric, the batteries, and I got a uh, text message from a fireman the other day, and I'm going to do a show about this. We're looking for the right person to talk uh, about this issue, but um, electric battery uh, batteries are not a fireman's best friend. Um, when there's a fire in the vehicle, um, to, to I don't want to give away the show I'm going to be doing here, but it takes tons of water to. And I thought I thought they had to use a foam, but apparently it's just tons and tons of water and more more from underneath the car than than the the normal way of over the car. Um, it's just a lot of stuff. And you told me a story about one of the dealers in Berlin that uh, when it gets when it gets uh, the battery gets wet. It can't be moved into into a neutral and can't move with the cars. Yeah, I, I mean, we're still, think about how early we are in the stages, even though there's a tremendous push from from federal and state policymakers and regulations and the manufacturers themselves to move to electric vehicles. You know, there's still some, some with charging and with the vehicles themselves, there's still good advancements to be made, some good advancements to be made. And that seems like a simple fix, but sure, you know, the old idea of, you know, as some of your listeners could know, and I certainly remember having an old uh, 1981 Subaru manual transmission, uh, four-speed, and you know, <laughs> popping it, popping the clutch, yep. and, and starting it that way. Like that, that old-school way of mechanically fixing your car or getting it running, that really goes away when your car is more of a computer than it is a. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, obviously, it's got engine, it's got uh, moving parts, but these cars are getting so sophisticated now yep. that. You know, uh, that what we used to do in, in, in emergency situations, such as, you know, popping the clutch, putting it in neutral, and pushing it out of the way, 
he can't really do when these uh, sometimes. So those those bugs will get worked out. And yes, you need more water to put out a fire. But the, the, thankfully, those incidences are very rare uh, in terms of when they happen. But you're right; it's different. It's a, if you're a firefighter, you have to take a different approach uh, when you uh, when you put out a fire in a battery electric vehicle than a gas vehicle. Years and years ago, when I was commissioner of motor vehicles, um, ANR gave me a truck to take home. So I go home, plug it in. I go in my house, and I hear this noise throughout my house, and that was it for the electricity. I, I didn't have it in the right um, uh, the right socket or the, the right vo- voltage or whatever, and so um, we had to reboot and fix it. So it's, it's a little learning on some of us old folks' part. And also they talked about in one of these surveys I read that all of the technology, as you're mentioning, is, is a little daunting for folks like me who... Um, have enough trouble with Facebook or my cell phone. It's it's a lot of technical technology that needs to be understood, and you need to feel comfortable with it in a car. Well, this this sort of backs into the the broader conversation about energy policy, which you know, listen, I mean, big picture, the goal is to on the state of Vermont and in most of the United States and most of our Northeast is to is to procure our electricity from more less polluting resources and to transition all of the things that we currently use fossil fuels for towards electric, right? Whether it's vehicles, heating, or cooking, um, it's all, there's a big push, whether it's rebates, incentives, or mandates to get us to that place. So reduce the the pollution and electricity, move all these end uses from fuels to electricity. And, you know, there's challenges in that. It's not as simple as, oh, I just swapped out this for that. For instance, and we're seeing this because of the flood. So homes that are considering their heating system needs to be replaced. They're considering um, a cold climate heat pump, put a compressor on the roof. They'll have cold air and warm air blown in from from the side of the – you know, that's fine. But their houses have to be weatherized, and they have to be – have the correct amount of power. And some of these old buildings with old knob and tune wiring, like the description that you had of your house. Right. If you Our don't house. have the right amperage, if you don't have the right service panel, then the idea of putting a couple of compressors and having electric heat or putting in a uh, EV charger and having your car charged up uh, every day, it becomes tremendously difficult. Not new builds. Not talking about new builds with, you know, access to phase three power and all that. That's all. That's all great. But. With our existing housing stock, which, as you know, is quite old, the oldest in the country, it's, it's a challenge to get these houses because everyone wants a, sure, people want a flashy new car. I get it. That's great. It's, and, and and they may want, uh, you know, air conditioning in summer. But if they don't fix yes, we the, do. the house, if they, don't get the, if they don't get the electricity right, the service panel right, which takes a licensed electrician, then you can't do any of that. Uh, Matt, I was reading that there is presumably a pent-up demand for new vehicles, and I'm hoping that's true because uh, we could certainly use uh, the little encouragement to the economy these days. And I'm assuming this this demand came from the pandemic and now the flood and the mud disaster around Vermont. It's just unbelievable. And, of course, now we have the who knows where this hurricane is going. That's all we need. Um, so are you seeing that? Because I know our dealer um, always calls my husband from time to time to kind of encourage him to turn in his vehicle so they could have used cars on the on the lot. Um, what are you seeing out there with um, uh, people wanting cars and new used cars and new cars and what's happening? 
Well, there are always month-to-month fluctuations, but if you look at the trend over the last five years, clearly what happened with result of COVID was the people wanted cars because they didn't want to take the bus and they didn't they wanted to get around and they needed ah. better access. And and uh, at the same time, we had the supply chain issues that were directly related to COVID. Right. right? So we had this this short-term blip. And hopefully it never comes back in which in which there was high demand and not a whole lot of choice and that's not just the Vermont thing it, it was it was throughout the country and, and that is that largely fixed itself in which you know I mean you would drive by in, in 2022 and drive by Shelburne Road or Route 7 and see car dealers and you wouldn't see as many cars as you're used to and now that is that is coming back which is a good thing giving giving consumers more choice and and which as a result of increasing competition and lowering prices. So choice, uh, supply, all very important for Vermont consumers. And, and we're starting to see that come back. But yeah, I mean, we register about 100,000 new and used vehicles every year in Vermont. Huh. And, um, and you know, we, we've sold through the uh, first six months of, uh, of 2023. It's been, you know, a pretty good year. I mean, there was 48,573 new and used vehicles registered within the first seven months of of 2023, that includes um, close to 17,000 new vehicles. Good for us, eh? That's a good thing. Um, I just wish that the that the parking lots in in the places you go shopping knew back then that the cars were going to be bigger. You ever try to park in a parking lot? I mean, seriously, with the Jeep. My husband has a, a GMC, and oh, I I struggle with that with that truck because. The turning radius alone can't fit in most of these parking parking places, but anyway, um, it's good to hear that it's that is freaking. And I'm thrilled to hear how many new dealerships there are out there. That's a that's a really good a good thing. Um, I was looking for a statistic I found in one of these surveys I was reading the last few days. It said 40 percent because of of unemployment and because of uh, salaries, uh, what people are making and earning these days that. Forty percent of Vermonters don't feel that they can afford to buy something that makes them feel good, like, you know, a luxury sort of thing. And I thought, well, how sad is that? You know, you're working and you want to go out and buy that uh, shiny new car, um, and that's a a struggle sometimes for people. And what was the overriding issue about how and when you buy a car is your relationship – this is what the survey said. Your relationship with the dealer himself or uh, the dealership itself, that they're, how you view them with regard to trust and fairness and good deal and good service is really key to how and when you buy a car. I, I thought that was very telling. Oh, that's, it's incredibly true. I mean, it, you, listen, as a dealer living in a small town, you don't last seconds, two, three, four generations without delivering on a product and delivering on your promise. And, right. and and that's really when there's lots of conversations of, oh, everything's online now, and I can just click, click, click on my phone, and it shows up on a brown box, and some right. billionaire can take a second ride into space. Well, guess what? That's not great. It's not great right. for our local economy. So for everyone that uh, likes the convenience and thinks that the local economy doesn't matter, that local retailers don't matter, I strongly disagree. Right. I, it's It's... Buy local. There you go. Um, I um, I was hoping I, I was looking at the time here, and I did want to kind of refocus a little bit on fuel 
and what we're looking working forward to this winter. Is there anything else you might want to talk about about automobiles before we sort of change hats here? Well, if, if, if anyone's interested, the VermontDrive.com, www.thevermontdrive.com is where they can find information about the, our upcoming Vermont Auto Conference where we won't be showing cars, but we'll be showing everything you want to know about the future of transportation and where we're going in Vermont and, and what's driving us. Oh, that's great. And you don't have to be in the industry to, in, to enjoy that conference. It would be a lot of uh, great info. I may yeah. surprise uh, you. Uh, show if you're up. interested in transportation, the future of transportation, come on over. That's great. Awesome. Thank you. So let's just switch a little bit, put a hat on the Vermont Fuel Dealers Association and some of your other sure. clients that you work with. Um, yeah. We, of course, last year, my favorite um, bill was Act 18, the Affordable Heat Act. Um, could you talk about um, that bill and, and its impact on the Vermont fuel dealers? Yeah, so, so here, here's what happened. So there was many efforts to create a carbon tax or a fee or some sort of efficiency charge on fuel oil and propane over the last 10 years in order to fund efforts to get people to use less fuel oil and propane. And those never came to pass. But what did pass and was sustained by just uh, one vote, excuse me, the veto was overridden by just one vote um, in the Senate, um, allows the, or creates a, a, a 18 month work session for the Public Utility Commission in which they're going to try to figure out how to provide a similar type of oversight and regulation over the heating oil and propane industry that they currently do to electric and natural gas and create some performance standards to require local fuel dealers to produce something called credits, which is a proof that they have helped their customers reduce greenhouse gas emissions by either uh, providing a more renewable fuel or, or doing other efficiency measures to reduce their overall consumption. It's basically saying, fuel dealers, you either pay a fee and let other people convince your customers to use less of your product, or you do it yourself. And so for the next 18 months, and that process has already started, the state of Vermont taxpayers will spend several million dollars designing this system, and the credits can already be earned now. So you're seeing fuel dealers bring in renewable propane and biodiesel blended renewable heating oil. You're seeing more installations of cold climate heat pumps and weatherization. You're seeing sales of pellets. All this is happening, but there's an uncertainty that's going to exist for the next 18 months, and here's why. As you earn these credits, uh, or as individual companies earn these credits, there's no, there's no knowledge or there's no information about what their value is. That's that infamous 70 cents a gallon. We don't right. know if it's 70 cents a gallon or if it's $7 a gallon, and we don't know how much these credits or coupons that we're currently earning actually count for. So the Public Utility Commission has to figure this out in 18 months. And why? Because the, what the law says is that in January of 2025, the legislature has to review this tremendous amount of work that the Public Utility Commission is going to do. They're going to read the report, and they're going to either say, yeah, uh, we, we probably shouldn't have done this. This is a bad idea. And just shut it down. Or they'll say, we love what the Public Utility Commission has done. We think this will work, and we want to pass a law that says, go ahead and do it. And that's what will happen over the next two years. So like that regulation I talked about in cars, it was passed in December, but it doesn't really take effect until 2026. This is one of those. It's not a study because a study just provides advice to offer future decisions. This creates a platform for buyers and sellers of these credit coupons 
to swap them, and we don't know if they're, this is a, a $10 million market, a $100 million market, or a $10 market. That won't be determined until after all this money is spent designing the program and the legislature determines whether or not it's worth a damn. Oh, I, I, I just so want to comment, but I'm going to be good. Um, I know that a lot of people were very concerned about passing a bill that we had no idea, as you're just saying, whether it's $10 or, you know, $100,000. Um, there was no financial information available, which is usually what happens when one looks at a bill. You have some idea of what it's going to cost us. Uh, are you at the table with the public uh, service uh, group there? Are they, are they calling in people from I don't know, like the industry? Well, you, you, less of a call in and more of a uh, raising your hand eagerly like that uh, okay. kid in class. <laughs> uh, a little bit I know. of that. It's one of those questions that I knew the answer to. Sorry. Um, but but uh, I mean, here's, it's here's a, the reality. It's a big task. I mean, it was passed. It was passed with the idea. They looked. Uh, they looked over at. At uh, you know early programs in other states dealing with gasoline and thought, oh, it's only going to be pennies. Well, what we're finding out is even those examples that they've used uh, have turned up. For instance, Washington State, they have a cap and trade program for motor fuels, not heating oil, not propane, but motor fuels. No one's done it for, for propane heating oil. We're the first in the nation. Um, but when it comes to uh, motor fuels, they've done it in other states. And so Washington State being one of the examples with the highest gasoline prices in all of the United States because they have this program. So we don't quite know what's coming, but even the, the, the things that the advocate cited as, oh, this will only be pennies, haven't borne out to be true based on other experiences. Matt, the uh, S5 or um, whatever they call that is Act, what is the number of this Act? Act 18 of 2023. Act 18. Thank you. I should have it embedded in my head. It's so, there's so much uncertainty and yet people are being asked to, to look at alternative fuels and putting um, new... I think when you were on the show last time, you said, but don't get rid of your fuel tank. Keep it right, right where it is, people, because you just don't know. I mean, what a... It's sort of... It's so risky, isn't it? I mean, to, to change and then depending well, on how much... This on the home, you know, every... Uh, you know, all these all of our homes are like, what do they say in that movie? Lots of chocolates, right? Everyone thinks a little bit different. There's no stamping in new pieces of equipment to all sorts of houses of different square footage and different ages. Right. The reality is that it's an older home. A newer home, sure. Um, right. With R19 insulation and, and, you know, best windows and all these things like that. A very expensive home that are being built in some of these uh, nicer uh, or more... Um, uh, communities in Chittenden County, which have large suburbs and able to develop at a larger scale, yeah, these are going in. We've seen these in right. South Burlington for sure. But the reality is, is that most of the housing stock is existing housing stock, and it's over 20 years old, and some of it is over 40 years old. And the idea of just putting in a small compressor and electric heat that's blowing in one room that's going to keep your pipes from freezing in the middle of winter if you don't have a weatherized home, if you don't have, it's just, it's just not happening. And, yeah. and that's the advice that not the fuel dealers, the HVAC contractors and electricians are telling their consumers because they don't want to get the call when these pipes freeze in the middle of the night in January. Right. So, so the reality is, is that many Vermonters in existing homes, not newly built homes, will continue to have, will have more than one heating system. And you know what? That may seem odd to someone who's listening to this radio program who's from New Jersey or Florida, where it's like, what, two heating systems? But it's not actually that odd for us. 
I mean, oh. think about it. A lot of these homes started out as cold and they moved to wood. A lot of people, I know people that still have coal burners in their basement, but they have another source of heat as well. Lots of people supplement their heat with wood. And what we're going to see, I think, is that more and more, because they're heavily subsidized, heat pumps, which provide air conditioning in the summer and take the chill off in the fall and the spring, I think what you'll see more of those, but you'll see just as many of different types of combustion heating systems. Now, it might burn wood. It might burn renewable propane or renewable biodiesel instead of heating oil. Uh, It might just do traditional heating oil and propane or kerosene. But you're going to see homes that have two heat sources. And, you know, there was a big news story on WCX about JPEAK and their efforts to use some of that wind from Lowell and and turn it into um, hot water for their pools and for uh, for other things. And, And they're doing that with an electric boiler. But they still have their propane system. And that's, you know, whether it's JPEAK or it's, a, you know, a 1,500-square-foot home, we're seeing that out in the field everywhere. Our heating contractors, which is another association I work for, the Heating and Cooling Contractors of Vermont, what we're seeing is that people are installing heat pumps. Their, their numbers are going up. They're providing great air conditioning, efficient air conditioning in the summer, and they're taking the chill off in the spring and the fall. But they're not losing their heating system because they trust their heating contractor who understands how these uh, building thermal uh, envelopes work, and they're providing good advice to their consumer because they're not in it for a one-time sale. They live in their communities. They're small businesses, and they know that not only do they want to sell and service equipment and fuel to that customer for the next 10 years, they want their kids' kids to be in the same business uh, uh, 50 years from now. So I I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation about, oh, these are just swapping devices. I mean, people ask me, smart people ask me, Oh, I just take out a my oil boiler and I put in a heat pump. Like, no, 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 no. These are okay. compressors that right. are inside your house right that create a fan inside a room, and they're not a replacement technology. They're a supplemental technology. They supplement existing air systems to provide cooler air or warmer air, depending on your, the desire of the person living inside. I think it makes a lot of sense to have a backup system. It's like I didn't mention it when we were talking about automobiles, but the hybrid system. Um, if I needed to go to a battery, I, I like that hybrid where you've got that backup system. It just makes you feel better. Um, so, John, um, uh, well, that's, also true. that's also true with, with homes. I mean, uh, listen, every yeah. time there's a storm, every time there's a storm, guess what sells? <laughs> Propane-powered backup generators, standby generators. Right. Right. I mean, those, uh, those sales have gone through the roof um, because people realize, oh, I can't just have a, a gas-powered generator, yeah. even those some of those battery ones that they're selling, which provide, you know, 10 minutes of power, everyone realizes, no, 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 I need propane-powered backup generation, standby generation, so my house can have power, I can uh, be able to cook and and have hot water for, you know, longer than than two hours, you know, so I can have it for a duration of a a blackout of when the power goes out. Yeah, it's it's just amazing what you got to know as a homeowner or as as an automobile owner. I mean, there's just so much stuff... So what does this winter look like um, in your predictions, Matt? Are we, uh, we looking at some serious winter? or um, And, of course, the discussion it's about... It's hard to know. My crystal ball is a little fuzzy this morning. But, you know, as, as always, can I give a little piece of advice that, that's going to sound a little grandmotherly here? But, listen, for anyone that has had water in their basement, right, we had a wet summer, and you haven't turned on your heat since since March, right? Run yeah. your heating system. Run your heating system for 45 minutes. Test it now when you don't need it. So when you do need ah. it in November, 
you know whether or not it's going to work. Because what we're concerned about, there's plenty of equipment out there. Oh, there's, with the supply chain issues and the, the thermal market have largely been resolved. There's even plenty of heating contractors out there to service all of the homes that we do every year. But the busiest time of the year for heating contractors and fuel dealers is not in January. It's actually in November because that's when all those heating systems pop on, and that's when many people for the first time go, oh, yeah, I need this. Oh, yeah, it's not working the way I wanted to. Oh, my God, I got to call somebody. And if right. it's at 2 in the morning, you know, there's a, there's a charge associated with getting someone out in the middle of the night out of bed and fixing your heating system. So the best advice I can give to anyone out there is, especially if your yeah. home has had uh, issues with um, water, test your heating system, schedule a, a, a clean and tune. Don't wait until uh, Thanksgiving to do it. Uh, try to do it in, in September and October because that's the best time to test it when you don't need it, not when you desperately need it in the middle of the night. Good advice. I didn't think about that. I'll have to chat with my husband. I know he's listening to this, so we have to think, talk about that. But make sure it's because when it's when it's below zero, it's not the time to have things go awry. Uh, we just have a, a just a very few minutes, um, Matt. I want to thank you for all that you're doing. There's a big energy conference I read about that's coming up this May in, in 2024 that people should uh, take a look at in Manchester at the Equinox of all wonderful places. Um, so um, that's something to think about. Um, you got to yeah, the Vermont, the Vermont Energy Conference held every year in May, and it really is an opportunity for anyone that's focused on delivering um, energy to Vermonters and providing the equipment and fixing the equipment that delivers heat and hot water. Um, that's uh, that's the place to be in May. That's great, excellent. We got a lot lots to look forward to. We got a Automobile Dealers uh, Conference uh, coming up soon in Stowe and then down to the Equinox uh, in May. Very nice. And I want to thank you. I I didn't get a chance to talk about Split the Ticket Fund, which you uh, developed to help uh, folks in need um, with their fuel. And I I don't know how quickly you can talk, but maybe you can speak in a a minute. created 17 years ago. We delivered 100,000 gallons of heating oil for free, completely free to our neighbors in need. And it's it's really a program that is, uh, is really tended to supplement those that don't qualify or just just don't make it into the, the fuel assistance program that the state of Vermont provides. Because we all know there's people in our community that are either too proud to ask for help or just, you know, they, they don't qualify, but, but they certainly need it. And that fund is there to help those Vermonters. Hear the music. Thank you so much for being able to come on today. This was great information. I really want to thank you. And... Um, Good luck with our legislature this year, and keep up the good work. Matt, we'll be in touch. Thank you all. Stay tuned, uh, everybody. We've got a wonderful show coming up um, the next hour. Holly Sockett, who um, is the founder and president of Touch by Love International. Uh, she works with orphans, widows uh, in Zimbabwe and uh, all throughout Africa. So stay tuned. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.